going on, everybody? Welcome back to Sorry to Interrupt Podcast. This is episode 90. This is a sorry short. This is a really sorry podcast, actually. We mentioned that during the pod. We went over the the Knicks' recent pick, unfortunately. After that, we went over the Jets' firing of their general manager. And then after that, we talked about the Mets. So if you guys are depressed or on the edge of something, fighting something off, don't listen to this pod. I always want you to listen to the pod, but don't listen to this one. Skip to the next one. Follow us on Twitter at Sorry Sports, on Instagram, Sorry underscore Sports. Always check out the website. We're going to be running a few more articles very, very soon to come. SorrySports.com. If you have anything to say, shoot us an email. SorrySports at Yahoo.com. Enjoy the pod. everybody we're actually back so sorry to interrupt podcast sean here tom it's been a while man it's been a long time a lot has happened what's up i was grieving that's it that's it i was grieving that's why it's been so long so all those hospital jokes about me being in therapy me being needing to be taken care of will hopping on here um anything you want to take back from that yeah, I grieved in, a, in an appropriate manner so that it didn't come to that. You're, so you're you're better at handling st- stuff than I am, huh? I'm not saying anything. All right. Let the people decide that. <laughs> Is the uh, Good Vibes Tour still going on? No. Okay. It's over. I can't believe the Giants drafted Daniel Jones 6. That might have been the dumbest pick ever. It's a fucking joke, and I think it's hilarious. Um, it's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. You know what I can't wait to talk about? Uh just as your football team seemed like they knew what they were doing, uh, turns out they don't. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that in a second. But first, we're starting with your Knicks. All right, Tom, you said you were grieving. Everybody's been waiting for your take. The floor is yours, sir. 14% is what I put my life on. 14 fucking percent. I mean, come on. You probably have a better chance of getting struck by lightning. And I was hoping on that. And that just goes to show how sad these Knicks are and how much I hate and loathe James Dolan. And I just have a sad existence in being a Knicks and a Jets fan. It's terrible. As the Yankees are probably a top three team in baseball right now with a bunch of guys off the scrap heap, I can't even enjoy it because of a 14% chance. And you know what's hilarious is that the year that the Knicks decide to tank, because last year had the Knicks decided to tank, or had they changed the rules any other year, what would they have? They would have had more than a quarter of a chance. They more, they would have had more than a 25% chance at this pick, and it almost would have been on a silver fucking platter for them to have this pick. And of course, the year that the Knicks decide to tank, it's not the KD draft, it's not the AD draft, it's not the LeBron draft, it's not even the John Wall draft. It's the fucking draft where you have... 14% chance at Zion. And then their percentages went through the roof and then they went down. And when they said three, I just wanted to jump out the fucking window. I'll tell you what, you're lucky I'm alive right now. Strong. You're lucky. Well, you're lucky I'm coping with things well. You pick the year where the, the bottom three teams have the same exact chance 
and everybody says, oh no, tanking's over. I don't care. I don't know what it is. All I know is that tanking fucking sucks. Okay? It fucking sucks. The team sucked this year. They haven't been good since what? I don't even remember. Was it 20? When was the last When was the last time they made it to the second round? Uh, 2012, 2012? And that team had no fucking chance of winning a championship with the heat in the, heat in the Eastern Conference. Just nothing's going well, but I hold out hope. There's one man with a slightly torn, probably whatever strained calf in, in Golden State right now that everybody's saying they don't even need him for it, and it really doesn't fucking look like they do. And I'm holding out hope for him and another fucking head case on the East Coast who played for the Boston Celtics this year. And that's all I have right now is NBA free agency. The Good Vibes Tour is over. I'm going to move it over. I'm going to put it to the Keep Me Alive Tour because this is it. All I'm right. holding on by a Keep fucking Keep Tom Alive shrink. Tour 2019. Keep Tom Alive Tour. Daniel Jones, dumbest pick of all time. All right. I couldn't fucking believe it when it happened. Absolutely hilarious. But I didn't laugh. I, I didn't even chuckle. Because I tried to keep the Good Vibes Tour going. And look where it got me. It landed me with 14% chance. And the number three pick. I can't even get John Morant for the number three pick. I'm stuck with fucking R.J. Barrett. All right. Who, who can't even... Who, who sh- is the worst clutch player I've seen in a really long time in college basketball. Matter of fact, he got worse as the college basketball season went on, not better. And if anything, you could say that he took a little bit of Zion shine away because he was taking some dumb shots when Zion should have had the ball in his hands. And that's what I get All right. for, for having good fucking vibes. I love good that vibes rant. Are over. I love good vibes are done. They're done over with it and done. Well, I appreciated that rant. I I really had been looking forward to it um, because despite your good vibes, I knew there was a lot in you that was vindictive and that's okay. But it's time for somebody who's objective and time for somebody who is not a Nick fan to weigh in on this. And I did not text you after the draft or after the lottery. I was going to save it for the pod because it just seemed like it would have been lost in the moment. Now, I'm a Nets fan, which somehow is even lower than a Nick fan. Because Not right at now. least Not right now, No, buddy. but hold on a second. The Nets are a team that nobody even cares about. They like so when they suck, all the NBA does all the NBA, you know, Twitter and everybody just laughs at them and doesn't even tr- they treat the Nets like an ABA team that was lucky to go to the NBA. That's essentially it. At least the Knicks matter even when they suck. But Here's how I look at this. Thank God for the Lakers because... Oh, and we're going to get to them later on. But here's how I look at the Knicks situation right now, okay? You didn't get four. You didn't get five. You didn't get six. Yeah, we got three. You got three. So let's take this element by element. All right. The New York Knicks are not going to get Zion Williamson. They're not going to get R.J. Barrett. But that person... In Golden State They're with the strained calf. What? They're probably going to oh, get Oh, I meant John Barrett. Morant. Sorry. They are going to get R.J. Barrett. But that guy in Golden State that you were talking about, it seems like a foregone conclusion that he's going to go to the Knicks and that he's going to take whomever he wants to take with him to the Garden as well. So that's a really good thing. I am not the biggest R.J. Barrett fan. However, 
when you peel back the layers, let's look at this. How is he supposed to win when he's playing alongside Zion Williamson at Duke? The guy never had that team to himself, which is a problem with the one and dones. I think that it was. Don't tell me big, that. Don't I tell it, me that Zion missed two weeks. I'm saying what I'm saying though is that everybody was devastated about Zion. So R.J. Barrett was a guy that the fan base at Duke and all the peripheral college basketball fans just didn't really care about. And when you say Zion took the shine away from him, that affects an 18, 19-year-old kid who's used to being the best player on his team. So if you put him in the NBA and he has an opportunity to just let his talent take over and develop, I like him as a player. Do I think he's fantastic? No, but I think he's going to be a really solid player for a really long time. Here's the other dimension that we need to discuss right now. The New Orleans Pelicans won the lottery. Zion Williamson is going to be in New Orleans. The question is, is Anthony Davis. Under new GM Dave Griffin, nothing really seems like it's changed. He's going to meet with Anthony Davis in Los Angeles and discuss what AD wants to do. I think the Zion pick actually hurts Davis's chances of staying because I don't think Davis wants to play second fiddle to a guy who hasn't played a minute in the NBA, especially after the tumultuous season that he just went through. He wants a new beginning. Gail Benson, the owner of the Pelicans, has come right out and said, I am not trading Anthony Davis to the Lakers. So just take them out of it. Boston, depending on what they do with Kyrie, they're, they're, they're laying in the weeds. The New York Knicks have the best trade package to offer New Orleans for Anthony Davis. Depending on what the Celtics do. Well, I just said, they're laying in the weeds. But if you start a package of this number three pick, R.J. Barrett, and go play with Zion again, or whoever the Pelicans say we want you to take, maybe it's Cam Reddish, maybe it's Garland, maybe it's um, the kid out of uh, Texas Tech, um, or Hunter from Virginia, uh, whomever. Then you're all, then you have a Kevin Knox who didn't have a great rookie year, but is still an intriguing prospect. You have a Mitchell Robinson who was a really good player this year. You have an Alonzo Trier, and then you have future picks, not only your own but the ones you acquired from Dallas in Two the KP trade. Rounders. The Knicks have a lot of assets, so you're staring at a situation where even if you just get Durant, you could tell Durant, we have a trade in place. Actually, by the time that the Durant free agency starts, the draft will have already occurred, and Anthony Davis could be a New York Knick. Even if you don't make the trade for him, you're getting... You're definitely if you're you're getting two really good free agents to add to a good young nucleus. I think that's lost here. The Knicks have some good young pieces, and then you're going to add the number three pick in probably Barrett, who's who has a lot of upside. So, all things considered, I I'm looking from the outside. Now I'm not a tortured Nick fan. I'm not a Nick fan that's used to having my dreams dashed. But I'm somebody who knows basketball. And having to look objectively and, well, it's probably more subjectively and with a glass half full kind of approach with how poor the Nets situation has been over the years, I actually really think the Knicks are in a good spot to become a really good team really, really quickly. I mean, think about this. For as horrible as they've been, as big of a laughing stock as they've been, they are the number one perceived destination for the best free agent in the market. That's crazy. 
So it seems like it doesn't matter what Dolan's done. It seems like it doesn't matter how bad, you know, the stink over the garden's been. Somehow Kevin Durant and maybe Kyrie Irving or Kemba Walker or whomever else with a really good crop of free agents this year seem like they the Knicks are a really good possibility. You have a top three pick. You have Knox. You have Robinson, who was the bright spot this year. You have a Dennis Smith Jr. This team doesn't suck if those things happen. So I know you wanted number one, and Zion is that marquee box office guy who would just completely alter the fate of a franchise. I'm telling you, we're it's going to come in another month and a half. We'll see what happens. I'm optimistic if I'm a Nick fan. It's hard to be optimistic after what I happened. get it. I get it. But things could change around quick. And as tortured of a franchise that you've been, there's hope. And it's just one of those things. When your team is used to sucking and you've had nothing but bad luck, it's hard to be optimistic, but trust me, how how much worse are the is the Knicks situation right now than what the Nets had been the last few years? The Nets were the worst team in the league and didn't even have a draft pick. You're drafting third. The Nets didn't even have yeah, the you're... opportunity to do that, and they turned into a sixth seed in three years. You're absolutely right, but the Nets also put a lot of good people in place, and the owners switched. You guys had Jay-Z and whoever else, and then you had a crazy Russian owner, and I don't even know who owns the team now, but they seem to have figured it out, and they've got the GM, former Spurs executive, and they have a really good head coach. I don't know what the Knicks have. I know that the, well, you know the, what the Knicks I have know is that they're a terrible owner. As stupid as it sounds, because I don't know if it matters to players now, but I think still to some capacity it does. You have Madison Square Garden. You have the mecca of basketball and you have a fan base that's starving to be good again. And if Kevin Durant wants to cement his legacy, if he wins in New York, no matter who he takes with him, it's over. That's the best accomplishment of any player, even more so than LeBron winning in Cleveland. All right, so let's move on because I'm tired of talking about it to the other shitty team in New York, and that's the New York Jets. <laughs> and the Jets almost pulled a Knicks of, what was it, 2014, 2015? What's that, when they fired Phil, Phil after the draft? That was 17. That was so, only two years ago, bro. I don't know. Dude, I'm so beaten down. I don't even know. <laughs> I can hear it, and I can see it in your eyes. You look like you don't even want to talk about the, this. The Jets waited a little bit longer to go ahead and do what they did, and football is a little bit different. But they let Mike McCagnan, the GM, go through, do the entire draft. Clearly, they didn't really like what he did. And supposedly behind closed doors, him and the new head coach, Adam Gase, weren't really seeing eye to eye. And they let him go. Now, I've heard from a bunch of different podcasts and whatnot. Mike Lombardi specifically, he was a college scout. He didn't really know how to run a professional front office. Um, He's a good Obviously, he did a good job scouting if he's still in the league, but he didn't know how to do any of the other stuff, this, that, and the third. Why can't? Why didn't you fire him when when you were on your head coaching search? Thank you. Why didn't you send him away when Todd Bowles was sent away? I mean, I, I just don't get it. And, and, you know, the son of, uh, what's his face, Woody Johnson? Christopher Johnson, yeah. Christopher Johnson, 
he's not as crazy as Ambassador Johnson, I guess it would be at this point. Um, but maybe he's just as stupid in this sense. I'm sure they're smart men. They're wealthy men, good businessmen. Not football men. guys. They're not football guys. And they don't know what they're doing here. And they're doing a tel- terrible job delegating. And I don't know who the GM's going to be. It's going to be somebody Gase approves. It was Peyton Manning for about 10 minutes. But that was very, very quickly shot down. But I'm just hoping it's a really good personnel guy. So let's take, it, let's take it from this perspective, right? I don't think Jet fans are upset that McCagnon's gone. A lot of people, including you, when we did our podcast after the ending of the season and Bowles was let go, I was advocating for for McCagnon to be let go, and you were as well. Yep. Listen, every well-run franchise in the NFL, the GM and the head coach are attached at the hip. If they go in together, they're going to win together or they're going to die together. That's really how every, every situation in the NFL works, at least the good ones. And this has been a recurring pattern for the New York Jets. You know, Mike Tannenbaum fires, um, what's his name there? Uh, the the guy out of uh, New England. And then decides, I'm going to hire Rex Ryan. And then Rex Ryan gets to keep his, Eric Mangini. Yeah, I was going to say, yep, talk Rex about Ryan, the yeah, Rex, Rex Ryan gets to keep his job. And then all of a sudden, nope, Tannenbaum's out. We're going to bring in Idzik. Idzik doesn't want Rex Ryan. Well, they give Rex Ryan an extension. Okay. Then you're going to let Idzik go. Ryan goes. Okay, great. Okay, we're going to hire Todd Bowles. Idzik's still in place. Oh, no, he's out. Now we're going to bring in McCagnin after uh, Charlie Casserly uh, and Wolf do their search because the Jets are too incompetent to do their own GM search. So how I come mean, we've been talking about this since we started our podcast and even before that? Can we just line these two guys well, up? Well, that's what Can't I'm we saying. Just clean house. And, and again, it I it's not a big thing. Listen, McCagnin had an awful draft. There were a lot. It's we were both on board with their free agency. I mean, they had all this cap for a reason. Spend it, even if you have to overpay for some players. That's fine. Make sure you go get them and surround your baby boy Darnold there with some real talent. And make sure you solidify a defense. All well and good. But at this time to do it, and Christopher Johnson, you know, the more I investigated it, the more I realized he wasn't the guy for the job. What? And for everybody that's happy he's gone, can I just say, and, you know, there I've heard a lot of people say McCagnin is the worst GM we've ever seen. And, you know, he, he doesn't know how to pick personnel. And he doesn't know how to make a dra- take care of a draft. And... He doesn't know how to analyze the free agent market or the trade market. He just drafted Sam Darnold, who you literally the fate of your franchise hangs in the balance of his success. Oh, and by the way, he made sure he hired Adam Gase. So if he's as dumb as everybody says he is, then those two decisions are not going to go well. Now, I still think Darnold's a good quarterback and he's going to have success. And I think Gase took the job knowing he wanted to mold Darnold and that was a good challenge for him. But can't you just see whatever GM comes in? If they look at Darnold and the Jets have, let's say, an 8-8 eight and eight kind of year or a 7-9 kind of year, can't you just see him looking at a situation where he's like, yeah, Darnold's fine, but if we have a chance to get another quarterback, we might do it. And Gase could be like, yeah, 
because I didn't pick Darnold. You have to have everybody on the same page. And as awful as the Giants have been, and they are a laughing stock right now, the Jets just took back the laughing stock in the New York football because at least Shermer and Gettleman are attached at the hip. They are on the same page with the in the draft room, in free agency, and in trades, and who they're letting go. If they're all terrible moves, fine. But they're going to do it together, and they're going to go out together if it goes out in flames. The Jets are going to continue to roll this ball down the hill until it becomes a snowball and into an avalanche. Like they, it's, It doesn't make any sense. And like you said, dude, to allow him to make your draft picks. Quinn and Williams at number three, that was an easy pick. The guy is going to be a great player for a long time. But we had Frenchie on the pod. He's like, the Jets had a really bad draft. I didn't like Jaggy Polite. I didn't like what you did in rounds four, five, six. You know, you take a tight end who can't catch a ball in, a, in an NFL where that's a very important skill set to possess. You take a couple very questionable players in the back end of the draft, even in places where there can be value there. He got crushed for it. It's like Phil taking Nidalkina. Like, how do you allow, as an owner, how do you allow somebody to go through the process of making... This was the most important offseason of the Jets franchise in probably the last 20-something years. It's it, it, it completely... It's mind-boggling. And this is why, you know, for people who ask, you know, what's wrong with the Knicks? How can the Jets, you know, continue to be the Jets? You said it. It's ownership. These guys don't know what they're doing, and no move is calculated. And fan, and unfortunately, the fans of these teams are, you know, the sacrificial lambs because there's a reason. I, you know, I texted my dad, and I was like, what is going on? And he goes, Knicks haven't won since 73. Jets haven't won since 69. Need I say more? All right, let's talk about another bad team in New York. And this team, speaking of bad ownership, hasn't won since 1986. Um, And that is the New York Mets. Oh, boy, what a week. The saga continues for New York sports. Luckily, you and I are both not fans of this team, but I do root for them. Yeah, the city's better when all teams are good. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. I have no ill will towards the Jets or the Knicks or the Mets, but I find it comical that all three seem to continue to do the same thing over and over again. It just makes no sense. Can't we get somebody smart in there? because ownership doesn't like to spend money in and in baseball that's very important and it's not just on the field product it's also what money are you putting into scouting where's your triple a affiliate what's your analytics department like those are all things that matter so Brody Van Wagenen does a conference call on Monday after the team gets swept by Miami where the writings on the wall Buster only of ESPN was reporting that Callaway was essentially a dead man walking and who, by the way, neither of us liked that hire in the first place. No, I thought it was kind of a very questionable move. The only thing that made sense about it was that he could manage a staff. He could manage a staff, and you know the Mets' success hinges on their pitching staff. But so Callaway gets the boat of confidence from Brody Van Wagen, and who essentially falls on the sword. He says, "You know, Callaway's our manager for the foreseeable future. All well and good." Simultaneously. Yoenis Cespedes, who's recovering <laughs> from heel surgeries, falls in a hole at his ranch at home and just completely tears up his ankles and he's done for the season. And it's like, 
that's the most Mets thing I have ever heard. They had to clarify that he wasn't on his horse. Which is by far the best part of the story. Well, he wasn't on his horse, so... I mean, he wasn't on the golf course. He wasn't on the golf course or his horse. He was just walking on his ranch, fell in a hole, (laughs) and tore apart his feet. I guess we're going to have to put the guy in the bubble. What's a worse contract? Cespedes or Ellsbury? Ellsbury. Oh, I disagree. Well, if you look at it from the perspective of... Just overall general contracts, Cespedes, even right now, I think could be a better player than Ellsbury with no feet. But <laughs> being that the Mets are so cheap and that it's going to financially cripple that franchise for the next, what, four years left on that deal or something like that? Oh, Cespedes, I think, only has one left. But the problem is is hmm. that he's got, yeah, he signed a four he signed a four year deal before 2017. Okay. But what's funny is, is that it's worse for the Mets because they can't get out from situation. that. So, yeah, exactly. So, they can't, you know, look at what the Yankees are doing. And Ellsbury hasn't, Ellsbury hasn't played essentially in two years. And they'll find guys and take care of that. Again, in scouting. You know, none of, not a lot of the guys that have taken Ellsbury's place are, you know, the Bryce Harpers of the world. They're guys that they've made good trades with. But that's not about the Yankees. We'll get to them in another point. But this is the most Mets thing ever. So, you've got... A manager who I don't care what Van Wagenen says, the players don't believe in. The guy doesn't look like he has any clue what's going on. Now I give them credit. After all of this and the sky was falling, they just swept the Nationals, who have their own problems and are on the verge of firing their manager. At least it sure seems like it. Now Robinson Cano gets benched because apparently there was a conversation with him about him not running out ground balls. And how it was a really bad optic. And listen, I'm not one to crush Robbie Cano. As a Yankee fans, he was a great player. He was even really good for Seattle. We both thought he would be better than what he's been. But he's been really bad. And if you hit 320, you can, you know, loaf it out of the box. You can't do that when you're hitting 240. That's what he did. Not Obviously, he's still in New York. But that's what he did when he was with the Yankees. So that's he exactly would jog my point. out ground balls, but he would also hit 320, play gold glove defense, and play and every 25 day. home runs. And play every day. You know, Girardi always said, I'm not going to reprimand him if he's in the lineup 160 out of 162 games and he's putting up those numbers. I'll live with it. Did you not know who you were acquiring? Yeah. This is Robinson Cano. So you can't tell a guy who's had this kind of success in the league to start running out ground balls. Oh, by the way, he finally did, and he pulled a quad, and he's on the injured list. This is what you get. Again, it's not this podcast has been at the expense of the Knicks, Jets, and Mets. You're not a Met fan. The other two, I've enjoyed laughing at your expense. I'll tell you what. Talk about sorry sports. This is a sorry podcast. This is a sorry podcast. But what is the recurring theme here? Every we, you just have to laugh because. This is just the norm for what these teams do. And again, you know what you're going to get when you get Robinson Cano. Now, I know they didn't make the trade for Robinson Cano. They made it for Edwin Diaz, who has had some struggles. But they're changing their mind every week. Oh, you know, Familia is our setup guy. Oh, no, he can't pitch the eighth. We're going to have to put him into the seventh. Oh, now Edwin... or. um, Edwin Diaz, who we only wanted to pitch for three outs. Oh, now we're going to make him a multi-inning reliever. Okay. Like, clearly there's no 
there's no consistency in what's being said. You're kind of going by the, you know, flying by the seat of your pants here, which sometimes you have to do. And what's funny is the Yankees low key have handled their injury situation really poorly. Look what's happening with Stanton, you know, the situation with Tulowitzki. But the problem well, that, winning is the best you order for exactly. that. Exactly. The difference is is that the Yankees continue to win and find guys to get the job done. The Mets don't. And that, to me, that's, again, putting money into scouting, putting money into development, into analytics, finding guys that fit. Because, again, the Mets have some really promising pieces. But you, it's whatever can go wrong will go wrong. And for these for three franchises, that has seemed to just continually bend the trend. And I got to pose the question to you, man. I've done a lot of talking. I want to hear from you. To be perfectly honest, out of these three teams, who's in the better position and why? It all hinges on free agency coming up in a couple of weeks in the NBA. If you want to say right now, I say the New York Knicks. Because the New England Patriots are still in the AFC East. We still don't know if my baby boy Darnold's going to be any good. And the Knicks, I mean, at the very least, you could say, by all reports, Kevin Durant's a 99% chance coming here. I mean, again, I'm hinging on 14, so I'll fucking take 99. I'll tell you that. I'll take 15. So for the Mets... I mean, all three of these teams, best case scenario, Jeff Bezos just buys all three. Unless he sucks as an owner, too. Then we're really fucked because he owns all three of them. But best position, barring some crazy thing that all, all these owners decide to sell the teams because they're all fucking terrible at it. They're successful in other ways, but terrible, terrible sports owners. The Knicks, by far. Couldn't agree more. Uh, to be perfectly honest with you, the Knicks, for all the reasons that you said, if they, because the the thing in basketball that's different from the other sports, well, basketball one is big star, it's a quick turnaround. Yeah, you can change the fortunes of that team. I mean, look at LeBron in Cleveland when he went back. They went from a lottery team that had the number one overall pick to a finals team within a year. If the Yankees, sorry, if the Mets or the Jets get the number one overall pick, they're not going to go from being the worst team in the league to turning around and being the best team in the league the year later. I mean, basketball, it's just its just a different story. Yeah. At number two, actually, I'm going to say the Jets. Oh, absolutely. And the reason being, and it's, you know, I still think the Mets can take advantage of a really bad NL East, but the problem with the Mets is, is that they do everything against conventional wisdom. You know, all these teams put money into position players, grow homegrown, really transcendently good position players, and fill in the pitching. The Mets did it backwards. And if DeGrom's not incredible, if Syndergaard's not incredible, if Mats and Wheeler aren't incredible, and that bullpen doesn't handle the job, a team just can't score runs. Well, I'll tell you what. I mean, it doesn't even matter if they're if they're incredible. Because you look at Jacob DeGrom yeah, last year. Point. He has one of the greatest seasons of a pitcher of all time. And obviously goes out and wins the Cy Young Award last year. And what was his record? As a, I mean, it wasn't good. He finished under 500. And he pitched to what, a 2 ERA? Oh, he was under. He was like a 1-7 ERA. Exactly. And, and he hasn't been as great this year. He's had some hiccups, but he's still been pretty damn good. Oh, he's been phenomenal. And so it doesn't even matter if you can't score any runs. And, and this team just does everything wrong, like you said. Yeah, I mean, they are... They'll get off to a good start. They'll excite the fan base. They have a couple young pieces. I mean, I still like Conforto. I like McNeil, who's also on the IL. I like Nemo. Nemo's good. 
Um, Rosario. You, you feel good about Rosario. I mean, Pete Alonso. I mean, he's doing his best Aaron Judge imitation from two years ago. This guy has 17 home runs. He's hitting bombs into the New York night. He's been great. He's also kind of been a little outspoken and a little confident and almost a de facto team leader, which is sad when you have guys like, you know, Todd Frazier and Cano and some other guys on that team who have been there and done that. Well, they suck. But that's the thing. You can't lead when you're not good. And Todd Frazier, who we both were kind of advocates of the Yankees re-signing, clearly the Yankees were like, you're a good halfway of the season player and you were better than Chase Headley. Eh, we don't want you back on a multi-year deal. He's been hurt and he's been awful. Cano, I still think, is too good of a hitter to be like this. And when he comes off the IL, hopefully for the Mets' sake, he's better. But Edwin Diaz hasn't been what they thought they were going to get. Familia and turn two with the Mets. We love that signing. He hasn't been all that good. Justin Wilson has been so-so. I thought they had a great offseason. We both on paper. You picked them to be a playoff team. And they are... We forgot that they're the Mets. On the Jets' side, again, I still think that they have the elements to be a solid football team. I'll tell you what. During our football preview this year, I'm probably going to pick them to be one of the AFC wildcard teams. Oh, cool deal. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked. But still, listen, that's going to be incumbent upon Darnold's progression. Le'Veon Bell's production after a year off. You did clean up the defense with C.J. Mosley. I re- I like this guy polite. Yeah, if I know. If he can stay on the field for whatever reason, whether it be injuries or personal, if he can stay on the field, I think he's going to be a damn good player. Yeah, and you got to hope so, right? I mean, that was your third-round pick, the second pick that your team had in the draft. And Quinnen Williams right there with uh, – right there with um, – What's his name there in the in the middle for the Jets? I mean, that's a really Leonard Williams. Yeah, Leonard Williams. I mean, that's a really good that's a really good front front four that the Jets are going to have there. I think that the ingredients are there for them to be a sneaky team. And the good thing about the Jets this season, I don't know if you saw the schedule, they don't have to go out west this year, so they're going to be playing a lot of games in the Eastern Time Zone without a lot of travel. And if they even steal one game from the Pats, I mean. This is this could be a nine and seven football team, like you said. This could be a wild card team. It's not a matter of whether Bell was a good signing, or if they gave Mosley too much money, or if they didn't draft right. The problem is, is that they let the wrong guys make that decision, and you can't do that as a professional football team because every draft pick matters, every dollar matters in a cap sport, every single part of that decision-making process in an offseason matters, especially when you're at the point where the Jets are, where they could be in two years that team that finally usurps Brady and the Patriots or the team that falls apart. You're, you got Rosen down, down, now down there in Miami. Half the quarterbacks from the draft are in the AFC. And, you, and you've got Allen in Buffalo, and their defense has gotten super good, and they have some weapons on offense. So there's a little bit of an arms race now to see who's going to f- be ready to take that crown away from New England whenever they finally go down. The Jets have to be there. I like this football team, but again, you just can't do that. And as Christopher Johnson owning this team, you cannot have this epiphany moment after he already made the picks. Because if Adam Gase is in his ear sabotaging now you again have that power struggle. The most disturbing thing that I heard from Chris Johnson before they made the head coaching move and decision to keep McCagnan was, oh, they both directly report to me. That's not the infrastructure of a successful NFL football team. 
it's not. It's head coach to GM to ownership. And even the worst teams, at least that's generally the model. We see what is happening out in Oakland. I mean, Mike Mayock is a puppet for Gruden. The head coach should never have that much power over the GM unless you're Bill Belichick in New England who clearly can do no wrong. Other than that, that's not how any system works. And you just can't afford to do that. So we're both in agreement. The Knicks are in the better spot. Of course, free agency is about, what, 45 days away, 40 days away. The Mets, a little turnaround after they swept the Nationals. That's encouraging. Maybe that was the kick in the ass that they needed, and they go on a little bit of a run. But the Jets are that second team to me. They they are. I think they're going to be a sneaky good football team this year. But, again, Who's going to be the GM and what kind of power is he going to have as far as making decisions? It's a wait and see for me all across the board. How there. are you feeling, buddy? Is Not it, good. Now that we've done this therapy session, still no? Not good at all. Come Not on. Not good at all. Come no on. No good vibes left. But uh, that about wraps this episode up. We're going to be doing a lot today. We're going to have some articles live on the website, so check that out, sorrysports.com. We're going to have some pods out within the next few days. So uh, everybody have We're a good back Memorial at it, Day weekend. We are back at it.